Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Hi, today I'm here with uh, Rebecca Burgess. Uh, Rebecca, honestly, Rebecca is one of those most amazing people you either want to know or just want to be. She is a natural dye artisan, and I hope she'll tell us what that means in a minute. Uh, she's author of Harvesting Color, How to Make a Natural Dyes, which was, and deservedly so, a best-selling book. It's a beautiful book. You should take a look at it. Um, she's uh, given uh, workshops to lots of different non-governmental organizations. She's even taught a thing or two to the folks at Harvard. She's the founder of Fibershed, which is one of the most fiercely cool eco words I've ever heard. And uh, most of all, what I find most cool of all about her is she knows lots of farmers and artisans. So welcome, Rebecca. Oh, thank you, Mark. That was what a welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so people know a little bit about what transpired here. As I wrote an article in my blog many, many moons ago uh, about uh, fiber shed, uh, which we can talk about in a second, and uh, and fiercely cool eco warriors, but I changed it to fiercely cool eco textilistas. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I thought that was the coolest thing ever that I, I've ever heard, and I wanted to talk with you, and I sent you a note, and it got mixed up in the, in, in the cloud somewhere, and then a year and something later, it came back to me saying that you'd like to, to talk. So this is fantastic. I'm really, really happy you're here. Listen, I don't want to talk much more. I want to start the conversation by saying, um, really, what can we expect of natural uh, textiles and natural clothing and natural dye. how far can we take this how popular can they become because i know uh you know, it's a tough it's a tough sell for a lot of people well natural fibers are the source of material that human beings have continue to rely on actually for their clothing and historically before we extracted oil from below the earth's surface and produce nylon, polyester, acrylic, polypropylene, we were pretty much completely reliant on them, um, on these natural materials. And these are materials such as, most famously, um, cotton, uh, rami, wool, hemp, flax, uh, nettle. Um, there's pineapple fibers <laughs> that people have worn um, and still do. Uh, coconut fibers are, are woven and still uh, worn. There's, um, you know, many fibers that we haven't been paying Kapok fiber, which is like a perennial um, cotton-like substance <laughs> material. There's so many materials that have actually fallen off the wayside yeah. because of our new reliance on synthetics. Yeah. But yeah. realistic is it? It's well, it's it's it is now. I mean, it's kind of. Um, it reminds me a little bit of that question about like indigenous people, you know, like are they people often say, oh, you know, they were in a history book. No, they're they're still here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're living in our communities and um, and very, very vital parts of our future because um, what they present and offer is something that I call it ancient future. It's 
harkening back to what we've done and that's taking a turn from Helena Norberg Hodge's book Ancient Futures um, and the idea is that we are looking forward um, with respect to what has worked in the past um, and not necessarily disavowing technology but using technology to create um, appropriate scales of processing for our natural fibers. I'm really interested in technology I'm just um, not so interested in wearing it. Um, <laughs> so you're, so you're, so you're not allowed. So, what do I tell my uh, 15-year-old daughter uh, when she goes to buy her uh, graduation dress from uh, from from high school? What am, what am I supposed to tell her? Well, she could look for a couple of, you know, you just if it's an entry point for some people who the subject is not you know, ever entered their mind, an entry point would be, well, if you think about um, not wanting to put, you know, really highly toxic synthetic chemicals in your body um, that create, you know, metabolic disorder, which creates obesity or things that, um, you know, we, we generally avoid internally, the same chemicals that create metabolic disorders, ca cancers, autoimmune disease, those things are on the fibers that we wear externally so and these are even the natural fibers um, most of the world's cotton is conventionally farmed so I would say you know start with the health thing like you know young women are often very interested in fashion beauty um, feeling good looking good I don't know if that's the case for your daughter and generalizing <laughs> here but um, oh yeah oh yeah fiercely so <laughs> Yeah, so it's like if you want to feel good and look good, um, there's we call it systemic beauty. You know, wh how do you um, create, how do you get a dress on your skin that, that the beauty um, goes all the way back to the soil? And by wearing it, you're reflecting this long chain of beautiful processes instead of toxic, um, you know, death and destruction exploitation processes. Uh, you, you sold me right there. But, you know, there's two considerations that I've always, you know, even as a parent, you know, I, I got three teenagers and, you know, my boy goes through a pair of shoes every six months. So, I mean, there's this, it's a whole hell of a lot cheaper to buy this awful stuff that we put on our bodies. That's, that's the one thing. And the other thing that you brought up, which I, I think, you know, is, is even a tougher one for some people, is this whole concept of, of beauty, you know, uh, people and fast fashion and changing your look and being hip and all those things that I forgot how to be like 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, those are, you know, that's a control mechanism. And I think young people who are particularly, I think as the brain develops in their younger years, they're prone to be very interested in revolution and rebellion and doing things differently so if we were to start by positing to young people that the means of production that are providing fast fashion are exploiting young people their very age in other countries disallowing many young people from having the ability to explore their dreams hopes and visions and so by wearing certain clothes, you're actually suppressing the future of people your own age in other countries. That's a very real wow. piece. That's, yeah, that's powerful. I like that a lot. Um, so sort of connecting them to the, the, the kids their own age and uh, in other countries and other places. Less than 1% of the clothing we wear is certified fair trade. Wow. 
so we really have no idea who's getting paid what and how. Mm-hmm. And so you really, if for your daughter looking for the dress, it's like, could she Google up or do it used to do some kind of search for an organic cotton dress that is what we call GOTS certified, that's G-O-T-S, Global Organic Trade Certification, and look for fair trade. You look for GOTS dyed, organic cotton, fair trade, and I'm sure she will find dresses out there um, that could work for her that don't hurt people. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Look, I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you know about this, but I suspect you do. You know, uh, all the big, uh, you know, sort of fast fashion companies, uh, you know, from Zara on down are talking about closed loop sustainable production. What do you make of that? Well, two things. One is um, they have a system of production that is currently driving itself off of a cliff like the textile industry is going to run out of water um by businesses usual growth patterns by i think it's like 2030 or 2040 they just there's not enough water on the planet um to support their activities there's also they're going to be the second largest carbon emissions contributor second to i believe the oil industry by 2050 if they continue business as usual so they have to make changes to what is a fairly um, decrepit system that didn't even exist before the year 2000. Fast fashion, these very rapid rates of production, we just didn't even have them. It's not really a cultural norm, I would say. (laughs) But people have gotten their jobs and they've gotten their structures in place and they're making a lot of money. And these are, um, you know, 80% of these supply chains are run by women, but there's no female CEOs at any of these fast fashion companies. There's a lot of gender inequity and power dynamic that I think we need to deconstruct. So I find this the structures of these companies to be, A, not, not really culturally normative. They want you to believe that they've been around forever and that we need to keep them. No, we've lived fine without them and we didn't need them in the first place. And they promote gender inequity and they promote it all through the supply chain except for the white collar jobs that they keep in some you know western nations and i there yes they do some organic they do some circular economic efforts but on the whole it's kind of like trying to fix a very bad big machine in my opinion and what their circular economic platforms do is they stay very safe for their bottom line meaning Yes, you can buy a t-shirt and we will aim to recycle it infinitely, but to their own admission, they're still promoting, they think that the most ecological fibers are plastic fibers by the Hague Index, which is what most of these fast fashion companies rely on to, to make judgment calls. And these plastic fibers are now in 94% of the United States drinking water. They're in our farmland through our sewage biosolid applications onto farmland. So we've got plastic in our soil, we've got it in our water, and we've got it in our oceans and in our beaches from the lint that's being shed from our own clothing. So for me, I just think this whole fast fashion engine is a decrepit system. Do I think them offering a little organic, um, a little bit of traceable, a little bit of the circular economic idea of circulating the clothes over and over again is a good idea? I think it's better than what they have. (laughs) But I just don't know if better than 
is going to get us as a society to the ecological finish line where we can say, okay, we didn't fall off a cliff, we didn't hit climate disruption to the point of mass extinction of the human race. Like, okay, we're here. I don't think that those industries are doing anything but accelerating our problems. I, I, I would agree with you, and I also think just the whole premise of fast anything is liable to cause us more problems than it's actually worth. I mean, you can look at the analogy in food, you can look in the analogy of how we spend our time, how we spend our money. But I want to come back and ask you, I mean, given all these evil sounding things, and my God, I'm more scared now than I was thinking about it before. Uh, thanks for that. Um, it, but I mean, are there, are there enough alternatives out there to like say within the next five to 10 years, really have a much more sustainable way of clothing ourselves and, and using textiles. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, the moment that your daughter goes online and Google searches fair trade or goth certified or organic cotton graduation dresses is the moment in which, for better or worse, data mining starts to occur. <laughs> and uh, we start to see in these consumer trend reports that people want certain things. And what do, what do the industries do? They start pivoting. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of green washes as they pivot. I think right now their circular economic drives at H&M and other companies like that is because they know that they themselves can't continue business as usual. Um, but when the driver for their changes starts to become consumer divestment basically like we're going to divest from you until you behave like this they're, they're either going to fall apart and have to reinvent themselves or the phoenix rises from the ashes which could be a series of decentralized independently owned uh, vertically integrated value chains that we call soil to soil that are mm -hmm. bioregional in your home community you pretty much know who's farming what, and if you can't grow that material in your bioregion, you have a lot of transparency about who's growing it, where they're growing it, how they're growing it. You know if they're doing climate beneficial agriculture, you know how the water affluent is being treated. And then we also need to change the culture of use um, because when we go bioregional and decentralizing our system, um, and creating more of the food shed, fiber shed, watershed systems where we honor the resources in our places and we make use of them and we create vitality in these systems. We also need to look at our consumption patterns because you'll realize you'll meet ecological carrying capacity quite fast if we were to consume at the rates we are now, which is like Americans in particular. I think they, the EPA stat is that we throw away 68 pounds of textile waste per year. 68 pounds per American per year. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're, keep going. You're making me depressed. <laughs> sorry. But all, all we have to do is refashioning. So that's why I work with plant dyes. It's like if you get a stain on your clothing, then over dye it um, in your backyard in a, in a pot with, um, you know, dandelions or your avocado skins from your last guacamole um, <laughs> your, last, your last guacamole adventure <laughs> adventure yes can you just so, just quit i wanted to ask i want to interrupt uh, just the fiber shed is just like the coolest term just maybe define it quickly because i know you threw it in there a bit 
Um, it's it's uh, like likened to a watershed or a food shed. The idea is that it's a strategic geography that clothes you. That's that's what it is. It's okay. like a and, and so in your, in your in your fiber shed, what 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 do they grow to clothe you in your fiber shed? In Northern California, correct? Northern California, uh, North Central. We have um, a large amount of uh, cotton. Um, some of it is organic, not so much. We'd like to see more of that happening. Uh, our state grows around 200 million pounds of cotton per year. We also raise about 3.1 million pounds of wool per year. Um, and we have a diversity of breeds. So we even have mohair, so that comes from goats. Um, we have cashmere, which also comes from goats. And we have alpaca, which is a really amazing fiber that I think, I, I don't know, it seems to largely go underappreciated, but it's as soft as cashmere. And mm. alpaca are wonderful animals to raise. <laughs> and we have flax for linen. And there are people at a very small scale growing things like nettle, um, which used to be a preeminent fiber for Europe um, before kind of through the Middle Ages, up through uh, World War I. Um, and so I, I think the technology question is, how do we look at those ancient fibers that are still clothing people, including ourselves, and process them in such a way where we can be more efficient with our processing? We, can, we need to bring some of these prices down um, for natural fibers, but a lot of that has to do with the, the, the manufacturing and the manufacturing, like I work with mill, uh, wool mill owners whose machinery, the intellectual property has not changed since the 1900s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no technological advances in these systems. So it's kind of like it, the, the first industrial revolution, which was ignited through, um, you know, the cotton gin and the spinning jenny, um, cotton really led us into the industrial revolution and the irony is that it's lagging far behind hmm. uh, the second wave of innovation yeah um, do, do you see anything like um one of the one of the anticipated next wave of industrial revolution is you know, local uh, 3d printers are, are we going to see something like that in clothing as well or is that still a ways off uh, no, it's, there's, there are definitely ways. There's something called a Shimaseki uh, knitter that has been around um, in one iteration uh, since the mid-90s that can, you can put yarn straight from, you know, like we have a lot of what we call farm yarn, hmm. and it's wool that is um, produced in our community that we can have processed pretty easily at one of our small, tiny mills. Um, and then this yarn can go onto a shimaseki knitter, and you can make a fully fashioned sweater. Like the sweater will come out with the sleeves and the bodice all, <laughs> all ready to go. So wow. the 3D printer component of this, I mean, yes, we need more. Actually, in some ways, we do need um, more refined, automated systems that will, like the shimaseki, but... Um, will help us create fully what we call fully fashioned garments quickly and affordably yeah. but using the raw materials yeah. that we're growing ourselves yeah That's, well, we can't be using plastic in these systems yeah. or synthetic biology either 
Yeah. Well, it's, I, I remember reading somewhere that over 100 million metric tons of petroleum-based polyesters are used uh, to make clothes. I guess that's an annual figure. That's, a, that's an awful lot of petroleum. Um, we need, I, I got a, a last question or, or, or so for you here. Um, how do you recommend people uh, look for the kind of uh, textile that's going to suit them the most? Again, I mean, I, you mentioned it earlier, but I want people to understand where they can go to start changing their consumer habits. Well, one thing is um, the first step is to actually use what you have. Um, so there is a change in use even before there is a change in consumption because clothing is not perishable the way food is. Um, clothing has the ability to be on in your closet um, for some time if you care for it well. So the first admonishment is love what you have and learn how to make mending it cool or make patching it. Like, you know, we need to reef have a yeah, fashion nobody, movement around Nobody patch patches anymore, right? <laughs> well, some people do. There's some really cool sashiko mending um, that has been popularized. It's a Japanese mending technique that's gotten very hip. Um, there, it's out there. Um, it's it, you, it's very much in the Instagram world. There's people really moving mountains with we call the refashioning um, sector. And then the idea is that you know when you do need to consume a new garment, which is hopefully after you know you really have defined your need for that, um, that you can look for a hundred percent. Uh, natural material that can be composted at the end, end, end of its life. So let's say you've mended your clothing to the nth degree. Um, you really want an item of clothing that has, is, you know, is something that could return to the earth. So look for 100% organic cotton or 100% um, climate beneficial wool if you can find it, but you know, even just 100% wool, 100% hemp, or a blend. There's people creating hemp, cotton, alpaca blends. Oh, nice. Look for all those natural fibers and try to avoid clothing. And this is difficult now because they stick it in everything. But try to avoid clothing that's blended with plastic. Right. It's very hard to separate it. Right. It's impossible right now at scale to recycle these blended items. Yeah. Um, they're not recycling our plastic clothing at scale either. Um, so it's probably better to eat at this point, given the recycling systems are so inept, that I would buy a pair of wool pants with 5% nylon versus buying 100% nylon pants. Well, there um, you go. <laughs> this is this is fantastic. <laughs> I, I, we could talk for hours, but uh, we need to wrap up a bit. How can people uh, get a hold of you and learn more about what you're, you're doing, Rebecca? Uh, they can go to www.fibershed.org and look at um, our producer program. We didn't get to talk about that, but we do work with so many farmers and artisans in our home community and um, they're on our website and really amazing people to connect with. And we have Fibershed communities across the country and world who are working on organizing their fiber systems. And you can find all of those contacts on the website. That, this is fantastic. You are an inspiring person, Rebecca, and your work is tremendous. And, and I certainly hope that I can find that organic dress now for my daughter's graduation, amongst other, other, uh, other things that we can do for a happier and healthier world. So thank you 
so much again for coming along. Oh, thanks, Mark. <laughs>